Verse 1 of chapter 26. The Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah and said, Isn't David hiding in the hell country of Hakilah near Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the desert of Ziph, accompanied by 3,000 select men of Israel, to look for David in the desert of Ziph. And Saul camped by the road on the hill of Hiklah near Jessamon. But David was staying in the desert. And when he realized that Saul had come to the desert to find him, David sent scouts and verified that Saul had indeed arrived. So he's living on this hill country, and these Judaites decide they're going to betray David and give up his location around En Gedi. Because this shows you that in some ways, David doesn't need to make treaties with people of Judah because God is protecting him. But at the same time, in a practical sense, if you're living in this situation, you're completely desperate and tr- trying to survive, you can understand why you would want to try to create as many political ties to the Judaites as the Judaites keep betraying you and giving you over to Saul. And so there is a very real political need for this. However, he's not really trusting Yahweh to take care of that politics for him. Now, Saul is facing his own temptation because he just professed that David was more righteous and there's no legal or moral reason that he can justify for hunting David down and killing him. But when this juicy piece of news comes to him and says, hey, I know where David's hiding, he's like, oh, I can't resist that one. I can't resist that. And so he picks up the pursuit again. Verse 5, So David set out and went to the place where Saul was camped. And David saw the place where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the general in command of his army, were sleeping. Now Saul was lying in the entrenchment, and the army was camped all around him. And David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai replied, I will go down with you. You're introduced to two people right now, and later three. David has a sister by the name of Zariah, and she has three sons. And they are Joab, the older brother, Abishai, the next in line, and Asiel, the next. These are three brothers. They're all nephews of David. These three brothers, Joab, Abishai, and Asiel, They are the nephews of David, and he's made them the head commanders of his army. When David becomes king, Joab, the older brother, is going to be the senior general over all of his armies. His right-hand man, and even his best friend. Two things that you need to know about these three guys, and we'll repeat this again when we get to 2 Samuel, because this is important. These three brothers, the nephews of David, are extremely, extremely violent men. Morality does not hold sway on them at many moments in their life. They're extremely violent men who live by the sword and they die by the sword. And they're not easily controlled. They're so violent. The second thing you need to know about them is they're extremely loyal to David. Extremely loyal to David. Now, they will be developed more, especially when we get to Second Samuel. They'll start getting developed more and more and more in David's life, and they're going to become a major role. Right now, they're just kind of in the background. But you need to know these two things about them as we go into scenario. So David says, who will go with me in the middle? Look, Saul has 300 regiments of men. David only has 600 men. 
And David says, who will go with me and sneak into the middle of a giant army while they're sleeping all by ourselves? And Abishai says, I will go. The guy who is extremely violent, and later at the end of the second scene, we're, all gonna, we're also be told many stories of amazing, like, supernatural, heroic things that they pulled off. Like, how in the world did anybody ever pull that kind of a thing off? So he's extremely violent, he's willing to take risk, and he's extremely loyal to David. He says, I'll go with you. I'll go into the lion's den with you, David. That's his loyalty. Remember, David is his uncle. Now, remember, David is also a violent man. And we've seen that. We've seen him and the fact that God has used him to defeat the Philistines in a way that Saul never has. We've seen it when he went out and killed 200 Philistines to get their foreskin instead of just 100. And we've seen it right here with Nabal. Part of their loyalty could be not only family ties, but also great respect for David as a warrior. But it also shows that David is not too far behind their extreme violence either. He's just right on the edge. And it probably doesn't help you to stay away from the temptation of being a violent man when your three nephews are the head of your army and they're extremely violent people too. This is the world that he lives in. This is the world that he lives in. So he says, who will go with me? And Abishai says, I will go. So verse 7, so David and Abishai, Abishai approached the army at night and found Saul lying asleep in the entrenchment and with a spear stuck in the ground. There's that spear the one he likes to keep in his hand. But now he shows to be very vulnerable because it's not in his hand, but it's next to his head. Abner, the, now, this is very tempting too because all you have to do is pick a spear up, move it over three inches, and come back down again. That's very tempting. Abner and the army were lying all around him. Now, Abner is also going to become very important in 2 Samuel, but Abner is the general of Saul's army. And right now he's in the background, but he'll become in the foreground in chapter 2 of Second Samuel. Abner and the army were lying around him, and Abishai Abai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me drive the spear right through him into the ground with one swift jab. A second jab won't be necessary, because I'm that good. Give me permission, David, and I'll do it. Now you're like, oh, maybe he was the one in the cave saying you should kill Saul. The notes, this is second scenario. Now, some scholars like to say, oh, this is a duplication of the Bible. The narrator forgot that he told this story and wrote it down again. Because lots of people like to say that to try to prove the Bible wrong. And you're like, yes, the narrator crafted this amazing story with all these literary devices. He was dumb enough to repeat the same story again. The point is not that, like, all oh, we're repeating ourselves. The point is that David's faced with this temptation again. Because that's how temptation works. If you resist it, oh, it's coming back. Okay, if that's a weakness in your area, in your life, it's coming back. And it's going to keep coming back. And it's going to keep coming back because that's how the demonic world works. And so he's faced this scenario again. And his men with him are trying to tempt him again. But David said to Abishai, don't kill him. Who can extend his hand against Yahweh's chosen one and remain guiltless? Now David's grown. In some ways, the narrator is trying to show you this is still a temptation for David. And David is given another opportunity to take matters in his own hand and make himself king on his timing. Where before David was tempted and walked up to Saul and then became convicted, now David immediately rebukes Abishai and says, I'm not going to do it. He doesn't even give in and get halfway there and then back out. 
He just immediately responds and says, no, we can't do this. I was coming in to see what the camp is like and how big it is. I'm not here to kill Saul. As Yahweh lives, Yahweh himself will strike him down. Either his day will come or he will die or he will go into battle and be swept away. But may Yahweh prevent me from extending my hand against Yahweh's chosen one. Now take this spear by Saul's head and the jug of water and let's get out of here. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got out of there. No one saw them or was aware of their presence or woke up. And all of them were asleep for Yahweh had caused a deep sleep to fall on them. David says, I don't need to take matters in my own hand. I know that God will kill Saul one day. Now, how can David be so confident in that? He has in the past and specifically Nabal. Did David learn from that? Yes. Was it a real temptation for David to act like a warlord against Nabal? Yes. Did he give in to that temptation? Yes. But did he repent of it and allow himself to be stopped? Yes. And now has he learned from it? Yes, because the week later, Nabal dies and he sees God is protecting him. So now he's in the same exact scenario again, and he is able to transfer it from one area to another and say, I don't have to take matters in my own hands. Just like God killed Nabal and his timing and vindicated me, God will kill Saul and his timing and vindicate me. And the temptation has lost some of its hold as he has paid attention to the theological point that God has taught him and he's able to transfer it. That's the key to spiritual growth. The key to spiritual growth is to see how God is at work in your life and not just see it in that area. It's not like little kids. Like little kids, it's like you, you tell them, like, don't lean over backwards in your chair. And they lean over backwards in their chair and they fall on the ground. And then they do it again. You're like, oh my gosh. I've already told you that. How did you not know? I mean, if it applies here, it applies today too. And didn't you learn your lesson? So then I learned something in child development and psychology. Kids actually can't transfer the lesson somewhere else. Young kids. You actually have to teach them, don't fall, lean back in your chair here, in this chair, and don't lean back in this chair here, and don't lean back in this chair here, and you gotta do it for each chair on every day of the week, for every meal. They literally are incapable of psychologically transferring the lesson from one scenario to another scenario and saying, if it's true in this chair on Monday at dinner time, it's also true in this chair on Tuesday at lunchtime. I'm like, God, seriously, you're making, it's already hard enough. Couldn't you work something else in their psychological child development? But we're like that sometimes too. Oh, God deliver me in this area, like, and then a couple months go by and we're like, duh, you must not be able to do it now. But that's the true growth. True growth is really not just saying, wow, God is amazing, but actually thinking about it and processing it. Remember, David has a lot more time to think than we do. One of the greatest ways the enemy attacks us is by putting us in giant, a giant pinball machine called America. We're constantly distracted and smacked around from one thing to another thing all the time and we never have time to sit down and think. And when you do sit down and think, you've got Netflix and music and all this kind of stuff to think about. And then you can wear yourself out with electricity to keep yourself up really night entertaining yourself and amusing yourself to death. But in the ancient world, you spent a lot of time just sitting down in the fields. No distractions. 
gives you a lot more time to think. You wonder, like, why did people back in the time of Jefferson and George Washington write these amazing things? Because they mostly just sat there. <laughs> I mean, yes, there were intense moments of working in the fields and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, when it came down to it, when the sun went down, you went to bed, because you only had so much money to burn candles, and all the other times that you're out in the fields working or whatever, going behind the oxen, you have time to think. There's a lot more processing going on. And Davis had the chance to really think about what happened with Nabal. How did he respond? And it's given the ability to meditate on God's word and to really look at it in his life so that he can really sink into it and come to this scenario and say, I can trust God. We probably would be able to do that a lot more if we would give ourselves sometimes to think and process and to reflect, especially for your extroverts. Remember Deuteronomy. Remember, remember, remember is the key to the Christian life. The only way that you're going to really truly be sanctified and the only way you can really truly be aware of God in your life is if you take the time to meditate on God's word day and night. Teach it to your children when you wake up and when you lie down and you're going to row. Bind it into your lives. Have it everywhere around you. And remember, remember, remember. And if you can get that Christian discipline down, that would do wonders in your sanctification, your growth as a Christian. And David has been doing this. Now, it doesn't say he's been doing that, but the fact that he's able to make this transfer in a time culture where they did a lot of thinking, and I also know that David is probably doing this too, because who wrote the majority of the Psalms? And you know where most of those Psalms were being written? When he was in the running away from Saul and when he was out in the fields as a shepherd. And you don't write things like that without having a lot of time to think about God. And even after his sin with Bathsheba, I mean, you read these Psalms. This is after David's sin with Bathsheba. This is why David was on the run with Saul. This is why David was on the run with Saul. This is David was on the run with Saul. This is David on the There's a lot of time to think. And some amazing things came out of him. Some amazing things came out of him. Have you ever seen that movie called The Apostle? Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall plays this preacher in this movie. Robert Duvall is a Christian in real life. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to say yes or no. But he talks about a lot. And he wanted to make this movie about a pastor. This pastor was a womanizer. He lost his temper and beat the crap out of a few people and even ends up in jail one day. And you're like, wow, this is jacked up. Like, seriously, Robert Duvall, this is your idea of being a Christian movie? <laughs> but in all the process of it, he was so, like, wanting to do God's will, and he witnessed to people wherever he went, and even in prison he witnessed to people, and he led people to Christ. And in one sense, you're like, this guy is not a good guy, and I don't want him anywhere near my family. But at the same time, one cannot deny the fact that God has used him powerfully in the lives of a lot of people. And deep down inside, he really wants to do God's will. And he really wants to spread the gospel, even though he's got some serious moral flaws in his character. Welcome to David. I really think, like, looking back on that movie, like, that is such a powerful modern-day example of what we're reading right here. Now, I still would not hire that guy to be the pastor of my church, (laughs) But I can't say, oh, you're not a Christian, or God's not using you, or how dare you. 
in some sense, I can say your fruit's not good, and I don't want you in my church leading anything. I want, my, I want you in my church and my pew. I want you involved in a small group, but I don't want you as a leader. But at the same time, God is doing amazing things with him. And it's kind of what you see here. Is David's got this incredible mind that pours out this incredible theology. And he wants God, but at the same time, like he's got a womanizing problem and a temper. Just like Robert Duvall and the Apostle. Now, I don't remember every little scene in that, so like, you remember how much swearing or that kind of stuff. <laughs> Warning, I don't remember anything about whether it's appropriate or not. But I do remember that the message is powerful. So they got out of there. Verse 13, Then David crossed to the other side and stood on the top of the hill some distance away. And there was a considerable distance between them. And David called out to the army of Abner, son of Ner, Won't you answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you that you have called to the king? And David said to Abner, Aren't you a man after all who is like you in Israel? Why then you haven't protected your lord, the king? And one of the soldiers came to kill your lord, the king. This failure on your part isn't good. So you insult them as you're at, while you're at it. As surely as Yahweh lives, you people who have not protected your lord, Yahweh's chosen one, are as good as dead. Now look where king's spear and the jug of water that was by his head are. Then Saul recognized David's voice, and he said, Is that your voice, my son David? David replied, Yes, it is my voice, my lord, the king. He went on to say, Why is my lord chasing his servant? What have I done? What wrong have I done? So let my lord, the king, now listen to the words of his servant. If Yahweh has incited you against me, may he take delight in an offering. But if men have instigated this, May they be cursed before Yahweh, for they have driven me away this day from being united with Yahweh's inheritance, saying, Go on and serve other gods. Notice David's using the same argument again. You're like, okay, we've already heard this argument. Yes, but Saul didn't listen the first time. And David says, look, if I'm really truly guilty in God's eyes and I should be hunted down and killed, then at least give me a chance to make an offering to Yahweh and repent of my sin. But if men have put these words in your mind to go against me as God's anointed and you're not justified this, then may those men be cursed and punished by Yahweh for tempting you into this. Verse 20, Now don't let my blood fall to the ground away from Yahweh's presence, for the king of Israel has gone out to look for a flea the way one looks for a partridge in the hill country. This is overkill. Saul replied, I have sinned. Come back, my son David. I won't harm you, for you treated my life with value this day. I have, been, I have behaved foolishly and have made a very terrible mistake. Now last time he said that David was more righteous than he is. This time Saul has actually confessed that he has sinned. So we're making little progress here. David replied, Here is king's spear. Let one of your servants cross over and get it. And Yahweh rewards each man for his integrity and loyalty. Even though today Yahweh delivered you into my hand, I was not willing to extend my hand against Yahweh's chosen one. In the same way I value your life this day, may Yahweh value my life and deliver me from all danger. So I replied to David, may, Yah- may you be rewarded, my son David. You will without question be successful. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Now notice how often David is talking about Yahweh, and Saul never mentions it. Saul finally has the opportunity to mention Yahweh, and he just says, may you be blessed. But he does not mention Yahweh. 
And this shows you how far away Saul has come from Yahweh. 